Hi there. So I decided to take um, take a risk in reading the Stephen King Gunslinger book, and it is absolutely marvelous. The the front cover, and it feels good in my hands, by the way, is a kind of matte cover. It's it's a trade book, so it's not a hard copy, and it's not a small paperback. So it, it, this is a nice book. Feels good in hands. Stephen King's name is written full out in and nice bold white text and is over and floating on top of a picture of a man who's wearing cowboy gear. He's got boots and it looks like either leather or denim type blue jean or pant or you know it looks western wear. He's got what looks to be like a leather duster and there's an ammunition belt kind of crisscrossing in the front and he looks to have a side holster and there's a gun resting in it and another one is in his hand so he's standing kind of in silhouette you see his face kind of in silhouette but you can't make out any features and he's got a very Clint Wood-esque kind of flat top western hat he's standing in front of what looks to be some type of um, animal bones or remains and it's, it looks like a rib cage and perched on these remains of bones is a blackbird. It looks like a raven. Behind the um, gunslinger and the picture of the bird on the on the skeleton or the rib cage is a kind of yellow and cloudy, dusty background with the silhouette of a tower that is large and is reaching from the sky up into from the ground all the way up into the sky and kind of makes me think a little bit of the Wizard of Oz but not sprawly so this is kind of a long spiry kind of looking tower almost like a skyscraper. The gunslinger is in gold text and it does say the Dark Tower 1 revised and expanded throughout with a new introduction and forward by the author which there are two sections that I won't be reading um, because they're the intros and I guess like his personal writings on the book. On the inside of the book is a picture of the author followed by a almost like a title page or print page of the name of the book which is The Gunslinger. Flipping that page you see also by Stephen King which are many many of his books up until the point this book was published so that's interesting to kind of see what all he had written to this point. He's written so many more since then. Inside cover page is The Dark Tower 1, Stephen King, The Gunslinger, illustrated by Michael Whelan. So this book does have amazing illustrations in them. And then we have um, the publication page. And it looks like this copy that I have was published in 2003. So this book has a little bit of wear in it. Dedication is to Ed Furman and it says he took a chance on these stories one by one and Ed Furman you didn't take any chances these books are marvelous <laughs> absolutely marvelous you knew gold when you saw it because that's what these are these are wonderful wonderful stories. The back is uh, black and it's just the book just just really pretty so I'm hoping I won't get in trouble reading this. I do know I had a friend who was attending college classes years ago and she was so excited to take like a creative writing class or studies class 
that dealt with the study of Stephen King books, in particular, this gunslinger, that was her semester work. I was so jealous that she, you know, got to take this course. I was working, so I did not get to, to do that. And it just seemed so amazing that this would be, you know, what she was doing for her grade and, you know, for her study. So to me, that's how important this book is. You know, they're teaching how it was written in college. It means something, you know, that's, it's special. So contents, you have an introduction and a foreword. Then you've got five chapters. So for the way Stephen King writes, um, this is a relatively small book, but it is just wonderful. It is my favorite book, and I guess out of everything he's ever written, and I really like his work. This is my favorite book, my very, very, very favorite book. So, um, love it, absolutely love it. The titles for his chapters are The Gunslinger, and and these are with Roman numerals. Um, Number two is The Waystation. Three is The Oracle in the Mountains. Four is The Slow Mutants. And five is The Gunslinger and The Man in Black. And it looks to be about 207 pages in this book. So it's it's not an overly large read, but it's not little either. We have illustrations, and they are titled, and they're kind of interspersed as you're reading. So that's that's kind of nice. I don't want to title these right now other than to, again, give credit to the illustrator who um, did the wonderful artwork. Let me see, where was his name again? Was it Michael Whelan? And I love the artwork. I really love the artwork that's in the book. So when we get to them, I'll, I'll try to describe them. And a little bit about what I want to do. Like I said, hopefully I won't get reported or have an attorney call me or something. Cause I do not own this book. I do not own the marvelous characters in them. Um, I am a lover of the writing, and I adore this whole story. And I'm huge. Um, oh, I sound like like what's her face? <laughs> I'm your biggest fan. So that's creepy, right? Um, I really do absolutely love the story so I'm hoping that for me this is just a tribute to how wonderful this book is and that's why I'm reading this is to share it with you especially as some of us are now still in self-isolation and quarantine um, with what's happening in our in our world today if you're at home and you're still trying to fill some time maybe we can share this time together in this way and you know, you get a really great story, and I get to share my love of this book with you, and hopefully we won't get in trouble. So if I'm asked to remove these readings and recordings, I will certainly be doing that. But at any case, if you enjoy listening to this and you like the story, go and get a copy. And if they ask me to remove it, then at least you will have a copy on hand to read this for yourself and really enjoy it. Okay, so let's begin. There is a page in it, it um, starts with a piece of poetry by Thomas Wolfe, and it says, Look, Homeward Angel, so let's read the excerpt. It's not the full piece, but it's like a part of it, so let's begin. A stone, a leaf, an unfound door of a leaf, 
a stone a door. And of all the forgotten faces, naked and alone, we came into exile. In her dark womb, we did not know our mother's face. From the prison of her flesh have we come into the unspeakable and incommunicable prison of this earth. Which of us has known his brother? Which of us has looked into his father's heart? Which of us has not remained forever prison print? Prison pent, sorry. <laughs> and which of us is not forever a stranger and alone? O lost and by the wind grieved ghost, come back again, Thomas Wolf, Look Homeward Angel. So I'm going to try to read it a little bit better um, going forward. Please forgive any stumbling I might do. Um, I'm still new to this, and I'm just filling time for myself while I am also on COVID shutdown. So I hope you enjoy this. This is um, the next page is 19. And then the next page after that says resumption. So these are facing pages. The presentation is kind of startling because there's just not very much there. 19, resumption. Resumption means to begin again or to pick up where you left off. 19 will be special, I think. 19 means something, but we don't know what that means yet. The gunslinger is the next page. There's a blank page and then gunslinger. There's a little pen and ink drawing of a man looking over his shoulder and perched on the shoulder is a raven or a crow. I think it's a raven because he looks kind of big. And the face that's looking, I guess, out towards whatever the bird is looking at is kind of grizzled and westerny. So imagine, you know, like the bottom half of a face, birds perched on the shoulder and you don't really see any features. It's just kind of marvelous. Okay, so chapter one, The Gunslinger, and like I said, I will try to read this as gracefully as I can. Let's begin. Number one, the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed. The desert was the apotheosis of all deserts, huge, standing to the sky for what looked like an eternity in all directions. It was white and blinding and waterless and without feature, save for the faint cloudy haze of mountains which sketched themselves on the horizon and the double grass which brought sweet dreams, nightmares, death. An occasional tombstone sign pointed the way, for once the drifted track that cut its way through the thick crust of alkali had been a highway. Coaches and buggas had followed it, the world had moved on since then. The world had emptied. The gunslinger had been struck by a momentarily dizziness, a kind of yawing sensation that made the entire world seem ephemeral, almost a thing that could be looked through. It passed, and like the world whose hide he walked, he moved on. He passed the miles stolidly, not hurrying, not loafing. A hide water bag was slung around his middle like a bloated sausage. It was almost full. He had progressed through the calf over many years and had reached perhaps the fifth level. Had he been a manny holy man, he might not have even been thirsty. 
You could have watched his own body dehydrate with a clinical detached attention, watering its crevices and dark inner hollows only when his logic told him it must be done. He was not a manny, however, nor a follower of the man Jesus, and considered himself in no way holy. He was just an ordinary pilgrim, in other words, and all he could say, with real certainty, was that he was thirsty. And even so, he had no particular urge to drink. In a vague way, all this pleased him. It was what the country required, and it was a thirsty country. And he and his long life had been nothing, if not adaptable. Below the water bag were his guns, carefully weighted on his hands. A plate had been added to each when they had come to him from his father, who had been lighter and not so tall. The two belts crisscrossed over his crotch. The holsters were oiled too deeply for even this Philistine's son to crack. The stocks of the guns were sandalwood, yellowed and finely grained. Rawhide tied down, held the holsters loosely to his thighs, and they swung a bit with a step. They had rubbed away the bluing of his jeans and thinned the cloth, and a pair of arcs that almost looked like smiles. The brass casings of the cartridges looped into the gun belts, heliographed in the sun. They were fewer now. The leather made subtle, creaking noises. His shirt, the no color of rain or dust, was opened at the throat, with the rawhide thong dangling loosely in hand-punched eyelets. His hat was gone, and so was the horn he had once carried. Gone for years, that horn spilled from the hand of a dying friend, and he missed them both. He breasted a gently rising dune, Although there was no sand here, the desert was hard pan, and even the harsh winds that blew when the dark came raised only an aggravating harsh dust like scouring powder, and he saw, saw the kicked remains of a tiny campfire on the lee side, the side the sun would quit earliest. Small signs like this, once more affirming the man in black's possible humanity never failed to please him. His lips stretched in the pitted flake remains of his face. The grin was gruesome, painful. He squatted. His quarry had burned the devil grass, of course. It was the only thing out here that would burn. It burned with a greasy, flat light, and it burned slow. Border dwellers had told him that devils lived in the flames. They burned it, but they would not look into the light. They said that the devils hypnotized, beckoned, and would eventually draw the one who looked into the fires. And the next man foolish enough to look into the fire might see you. They burned. The burned grass was crisscrossed in a now familiar ideographic pattern and crumbled to gray senselessness before the gunslinger's prodding hand. There was nothing in the remains but a charred scrap of bacon she ate thoughtfully. It had always been this way. The gunslinger followed the man in black across the desert for two months now, 
across the endless, screamingly monotonous purgatorial waste, and had yet to find spore other than the hygienic, sterile ideographs of the man in black's campfires. He had not found a can, a bottle, or a water bag. The gunslinger had left four of those behind, like dead snakeskins. He hadn't found any dung. He assumed the man in black buried it. Perhaps the campfires were a message, spilled out one great letter at a time. Keep your distance, partner, it might say, or the end draweth nigh, or maybe even come and get me. It didn't matter what they said or didn't say. He had no interest in, he had no interest in messages, if messages they were. What mattered were that these remains were as cold as all the others, yet he had gained. He knew he was closer, but he did not know how he knew. A kind of smell, perhaps? That didn't matter either. He would keep going until something changed, and if nothing changed, he would keep going anyway. There would be water if God willed it, the old-timers said. Water if God willed it, even in the desert. The gunslinger stood, stood up, rushing his hands. No trace. The wind, razor-sharp, had, of course, filled piled away even the scant tracks the hard pan might have once held. No manscat, no cast-off trash, never a sign of where those things might have been buried. Nothing. Only these cold campfires along the ancient highway moving southwest and southeast, and the relentless rangefinder in his own head. Although, of course, it was more than that. The pull southeast was more than just a sense of direction. It was more than magnetism. He sat down and allowed himself a short pull from the water bag. He thought of that momentary dizziness earlier in the day, that sense of being almost untethered from the world, and wondered what it might have meant. Why should that dizziness make him think of his horn and the last of his old friends, both lost so long ago at Jericho Hill? He still had the guns his father's guns, and surely they were more important than horns, or even friends, weren't they? The question was oddly troubling, but since there seemed to be no answer but the obvious one, he put it aside, possibly for later consideration. He scanned the desert and then looked up at the sun, which was now sliding into a far quadrant of the sky that was disturbingly not quite true west. He got up, removed his threadbare gloves from his belt, and began to pull the double grass for his own fire, which he laid over the ashes the man in black had left. He found the irony, like his thirst, bitterly appealing. He did not take the flint and steel from his purse until the remains of the day were only fugitive heat in the ground beneath him, and the sardonic orange line of the monochrome horizon. He sat with his gun drawn across his lap and watched the southeast patiently, looking towards the mountains, not hoping to see the thin straight line of smoke from a new campfire, not expecting to see an orange spark flame, but watching anyway, because watching was a part of it and had its own bitter satisfaction. You will not see what you do not look for, maggot. Court would have said, 
Open the gobs the gods gave you, will you not? But there was nothing. He was close, but only relatively so. Not close enough to see the smoke at dusk, or the orange wink of a campfire. He laid the flint down, the steel rod, and struck his spark to the dry shredded grass, muttering the old and powerful nonsense words as he did. Spark a dark, where's my sire? Will I name me? Will I stay me? Bless this camp with fire. It was strange how some of childhood's words fell away at the wayside and were left behind, while others clamped tight and rode for life, growing the heavier to carry as time passed. He laid down upwind of his little blazon, letting the dream smoke blow out towards the waste. The wind, except for occasional gyrating dust devils, was constant. Above the stars were unwinking, also constant. Suns and worlds by the million, dizzying constellations, cold fire in every primary hue. As he watched the sky, washed from a violet to ebony, a meteor itched to breathe spectacular arc below old mother and winked out. The fire threw strange shadows as the devil grass burned its slow way down into new patterns, not ideograms, but a straightforward crisscross, vaguely frightening in its own no-nonsense surety. He had laid his fuel in a pattern that was not artful, but only workable. It spoke of blacks and whites. It spoke of a man who might straighten bad pictures in strange hotel rooms. The fire burned its steady, slow flame, and phantoms danced in its incandescent core. The gunslinger did not see. The two patterns, art and craft, were welded together as he slept. The wind moaned, a witch with cancer in her belly. And every now and then, a perverse downdraft would make the smoke whirl and puff towards him, and he breathed some of it in. It built dreams in the way that a small irritant may build a pearl in an oyster. The gunslinger occasionally moaned with the wind. The stars were as indifferent to this as they were to wars, crucifixions, resurrections. This also would have pleased him. And that, my dear friends, is the beginning of the Dark Tower. It is also um, the ending of this very first chapter, um, of the first chapter. So I hope you enjoyed that. I love every single sentence of this opening. It is marvelous. So... Um, taking a moment to kind of let that settle in my own mind. I love some of the, um, I love some of the things, um, some of the imagery, some of the things that I really love were the um, thick crust of alkali had been a highway. Okay, that's, that's nice. And I love this sentence. It passed and like the world upon whose hide he walked, almost like the world he is in is a living thing, a mean living thing, and we know that it's a harsh land. 
All right, so then he talks about how his cartridges are fewer now, and the leather makes creaking noises. So all of that is so visual and so real to me that I could see every single thing that in my mind, you know, that was reading. And I love the part where it says, Perhaps the campfires were a message. Spilled out one great letter at a time. Keep your distance, partner. I mean, I love that. The end draweth nigh, or maybe come and get me. I think that's a revision in an earlier book. It's a different sentence, so I really love this. It's it's really quite perfect. And talking about being water in the desert. Um, I love this. This kind of tells you about his personality. Um, and that didn't matter either. It says he would keep going until something changed. And if nothing changed, he would keep going anyway. You know, he's just, you can tell that nothing's going to get in his way. He's literally walking across a desert. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, and then his kind of recollections, these dusty recollections about his friends and you get this kind of premonition or foreshadowing that I don't want to say premonition but you hear about Jericho Hill and I like Jericho Hill because it's biblical and I'm like okay what is that going to be and court so who the heck is court um, it says you will not see what you do not look for you know maggots so court would have said so court is very obviously somebody in his life and I'm going to be really excited to develop this out with you open the gobs that God gave you the gods gave you will you not you know so it's kind of a romantic language there and his fire chant spark a dark where's my sire will I lay me will I stay me bless this camp with fire you know it's just I say a bedtime prayer before I go to sleep every night that my mother taught me as a child. And so that really resonated with me when I read that. It made me think of that little prayer I say before bed. And, you know, it's like muscle memory, but at the same time, it has meaning too. It's interesting and love it. And I very much love how it was talking about, or there's a sentence. I think this is one of my favorite sentences. You know, he's laying and he's sleeping and the fire's burning down and it's talking about the stars were as indifferent to this as they were to wars and crucifixions, resurrections. And this would have also pleased him. So you're kind of getting a really clear insight to the personality and, I guess, mindset of our gunslinger and to me I think the most perfect sentence <laughs> the man in black fled across the desert and the gunslinger followed to me that is a perfect sentence I I don't know how you would begin a story in any better way so kudos Mr. Stephen King I love your work this is why I read your books the poetry of your language in this story is why I read your books. That's it. That's it comes right down to it. That's it. So I hope you've enjoyed this. Um, this was a really short read, this go-round. And if you would like, I need a small break. And I might continue on 
to chapter 2 and perhaps let me see there's um, I think I am going to read us a little bit farther but I need a break first so I'll see you in just a short bit we'll continue on with two and I hope you're enjoying this with me and we will continue on thank you very much all right I'll be right back hi and welcome back so I will be continuing with part two of the chapter of the gunslinger and um, thank you for joining me <laughs> had a quick little break what I'm going to do is just continue to straight read through a couple of these chapters um, or segments of the first chapter until we get to a really nice um, stopping point I would like to conclude with a little bit of a summary or some things that kind of stood out to me and you know then of course continue our journey with the gunslinger um, you may be just wanting a really fast read of the story and while I would love to do that because of copyright um, rules and regs and, and because I don't have permission to read this story in that way I am breaking the story up to do commentary so hopefully that won't be too distracting so we'll keep those pieces to a minimum and I hope you really just enjoy the story so let's get going this is part two of the gunslinger and I'm going to continue now he had come down off the last of the foot hills leading the mule whose eyes were already dead and bulging with the heat he had passed the last town three weeks before and since then there had been only the deserted coach track and an occasional huddle of borders dwellers saw dwellings the huddles had degenerated into single dwellings most inhabited by lepers or madmen he found the madmen better company one had given him a stainless steel silver compass and bade him give it to the man jesus the gunslinger took it gravely if he saw him he would turn over the compass he did not expect that he would but anything was possible he had once seen a tahine this one a man with a raven's head but the misbegotten thing had fled at his hail cawing what might have been words and what might have even been curses five days had passed since the last hut and he had begun to suspect that there would be no more when he topped the last eroded hill and saw the familiar low blacked salt roof the dweller a surprisingly young man with a shock a wild shock of strawberry hair that reached almost to his waist was weeding a scrawny stand of corn with zealous abandon the mule let out a wheezing grunt and the dweller looked up glaring blue eyes coming target center on the gunslinger in a moment the dweller was unarmed with no bolt nor baw the gunslinger could see he raised both hands and curt salute to the stranger and then bent to the corn again humping up the road next to his hut with back bent tossing double grass and occasional stunted corn plant over his shoulder his hair flopped and flew in the wind that now came directly from the desert with nothing to break it the gunslinger came down the hill slowly leading the donkey on which his water skin sloshed 
He paused by the edge of the nicely lifeless-looking corn patch, drew a drink from one of his skins to start the saliva, and spat into the arid soil. Life for your crop. Life for your own, the dweller answered, and stood up. His back popped audibly. He sur surveyed the gunslinger without fear. The little of his face visible between beard and hair seemed unmarked by the rot, and his eyes, while a bit wild, seemed sane. Long days and pleasant nights, stranger. And may you have twice the number. Unlikely, the dweller replied, his voice a curt laugh. I don't have nothing but corn and beans, he said. Corn's free, but you'll have to get in something for the beans. A man brings them out once in a while, and he don't stay long. The dweller laughed shortly. Afraid of spirits. Afraid of the birdman, too. I saw him. The birdman. I mean, he fled me. Yar, he's lost his way. Claims to be looking for a place called Algilcinfo, but sometimes he calls it Blue Haven or Heaven. I can't make out which. Has he heard of it? The gunslinger shook his head. Well, he don't bite and he don't bite, so fuck him. Is he alive or is he dead? Alive, the gunslinger said. You speak as the man he do. I was with him for a while, but that was no lie for me. Too chummy they are, always looking for holes in the world. This was true, the gunslinger reflected. The many folk were great travelers. The two of them looked at each other in silence for a moment, and then the dweller put out his hand. Brown's my name. The gunslinger shook and gave his own. As he did so, a scrawny raven croaked from the low peak of the sod roof. The dweller gestured at it briefly. That's Zoltan. At the sound of its name, the raven croaked again and flew across to Brown. It landed on the dweller's head and roosted, talons firmly twisted in the wild thatch of hair. Screw you! Sultan croaked brightly. Screw you and the horse you rode in on! The gunslinger nodded amiably. Beans, beans, magic fruit! The raven recited, inspired. The more you eat, the more you too. You teach him that? That's all he wants to learn, I guess, Brown said. Tired tried to teach him the Lord's Prayer once. His eyes traveled out beyond the hut for a moment towards the gritty, featureless hard pan. Guess this ain't Lord's Prayer country. You're a gunslinger. That right? Yes. He hunkered down and brought out his makings. Zoltan launched himself from Brown's head and landed flitteringly on the gunslinger's shoulder. Thought your kind was gone. Then you see different, don't you? Did he come from in-world? Long ago. The gunslinger agreed. Anything left there? To this, the gunslinger made no reply, but his face suggested that this topic was better not pursued. After the other one, I guess. Yes. The inevitable question followed. How long since he passed by? Brown shrugged. I don't know. Time's funny out here. Distance and direction, too. More than two weeks. Less than two months. Bean Man's been twice since he passed, I guess. Six weeks. That's probably wrong. The more you eat, the more you toot, Zoltan said. Did he lay by, the gunslinger asked. Brown nodded. He stayed supper, same as you will, I guess. We passed time. The gunslinger stood up, and the bird flew back to the roof, squawking. He felt an odd, trembling eagerness. What did he talk about? Brown cocked an eyebrow at him. 
not much did it ever rain and when did i come here and had i buried my wife he asked was she of the many folk and i said yarg as it seemed like he already knew i did most of the talking which ain't usual he paused and the only sound was a stark wind he's a sorcerer ain't he among other things brown nodded slowly i knew he dropped a rabbit right out of his sleeve all gutted and ready for the pot you a sorcerer he left no I'm, I'm just a man you'll never catch him i'll catch him they looked at each other a sudden depth of feeling between them the dweller upon his puffed dry ground the gunslinger on the hard pan that shelved down to the desert he reached for his flint here Brown produced a sulfur-headed match and struck it with a grimed nail. The gunslinger pushed the tip of his smoke into the flame and drew. Thanks. You'll want to fill your skins, the dweller said, turning away. Springs under the caves in the back. I'll start dinner. Under the eaves in the back. I'll start dinner. The gunslinger stepped gingerly over the rows of corn and went around back. The spring was at the bottom of a hand-dug well, lined with stones to keep the powdery earth from caving. As he descended the rickety ladder, the gunslinger reflected that the stones must have represented two years' work easily, hauling, dragging, laying. The water was clear, but slow-moving, and filling the skins was a long chore. While he was Topping the second, Zoltan perched on the lip of the well. Screw you and the horse you rode in on, he advised. The gunslinger looked up startled. The shaft was about fifteen feet deep, easy enough for Brown to drop a rock on him, break his head, still everything on him. Crazy or a rotter wouldn't do it, but Brown was neither. Yet he liked Brown, and so he pushed the thought out of his mind, got the rest of the water God had willed. Whatever else God willed was Ka's business, not his. When he came through the hut's door and walked down the steps, the hovel proper was set below ground level, designed to catch and hold the coolness of the nights. Brown was poking ears of corn into the embers of a tiny fire with a crude hardwood spatula. Two ragged plates had been set opposite, ends of a dun blanket. Water for the beans was just beginning to bubble in a pot hung over the fire. I'll pay for the water, too. Brown did not look up. The water's gift to God, as I think thee knows. Papa Dot means brains. The gunsinger grunted a laugh and sat down with his back against one root wall, folding his arms and closed his eyes. After a little while, the smell of roasting corn came to his nose. There was a pebbly rattle as Brown dumped a paper of dry beans into the pot. An occasional tick, tick, tick as Zoltan walked restlessly on the roof. He was tired. He had been going sixteen, sometimes eighteen hours a day, between here and the horror that had occurred in Tall, one, the last village. And he had been afoot for the last twelve days. The mule was at its end of its endurance, only living because it was habit. Once he had known a boy named Shimi, who'd had a mule, Shimi was gone now, and they were all gone now, and there was only the two of them, him and the man in black. He had a rumor of other lands beyond this, green lands, and a place called Midworld, but it was hard to believe. Out here, green lands seemed like a child's fantasy. Tick, tick, tick! 
two weeks, Brown had said, or as many as six, didn't matter. There had been calendars and tolls, and they had remembered the man in black because the old man had healed on his way through. Just an old man, dying of the weed, an old man of forty-five. And if Brown was right, he had closed a good deal of the distance on the man in black since then. But the desert was next, and the desert would be hell. Tick, tick, tick. Lend me your wings, bird, and I'll spread them and fly on the thermals. He slept. Right. Brown woke him an hour later. It was dark. The only light was the dull, cheery glare of the banked embers. Your mule has passed on, Brown said. Tell you sorry. Dinner's ready. How? Brown shrugged. Roasted and boiled. How else? Picky? No, the mule. It is laid over, that's all. It looked like an old mule. And, with a touch of apology, resulted at the eyes. Oh, he might have expected it. All right. Brown surprised him again when they sat down to the blanket that served as a table by asking a brief blessing. Rain, health, expansion to the spirit. Do you believe in an afterlife? The gunslinger asked him as Brown dropped three ears of hot corn onto his plate. Brown nodded. I think this is it. The beans were like bullets, the corn tough. Outside, the prevailing wind snuffled and whined around the ground-level eaves. The gunslinger ate quickly, ravenously, drinking four cups of water with the mill. Halfway through, there was a machine gun rapping at the door. Brown got up and let Sultan in. The bird flew across the room and hunched moodily in the corner. Musical fruit, he muttered. You ever think about eating him? The gunslinger asked. The dweller laughed. <laughs> Animals that talk be tough, he said. Birds, billy bumblers, human beings, they be tough eating. After dinner, the gunslinger offered his tobacco. The dweller, Brown, accepted eagerly. Now, the gunslinger thought, now the questions will come. But Brown asked no questions. He smoked tobacco that had been grown in Garland years before and looked at the dying embers of the fire. It was already noticeably cooler in the hovel. Let's not do temptation, Zoltan said suddenly, apocalyptically. The gunslinger started as if he had been shot at. He was suddenly sure all this was an illusion, that the man in black had laid spun a spell and was trying to tell him something in a maddeningly obtuse, symbolic way. Do you know Tull? he asked suddenly. Brown nodded. Came through it to get here. Went back once to sell corn and drink a glass of whiskey. Rained that year. Lasted maybe fifteen minutes. The ground just seemed to open and suck it up. An hour later it was just as white and dry as ever. But the corn, God, the corn, you could see it grow. And that wasn't so bad, but you could hear it, as if the rain had given it a mouth. And it wasn't a happy sound. It seemed to be sighing and growing its way out of the earth. He paused. I had extra, so I took it, and so did Papa Doc. He said he'd do it, but he would have cheated me. So I went. You don't like town? No. I almost got killed there, the gunslinger said. Do you say so? Set my watch and warrant on it. And I killed a man that was touched by God, the gunslinger said. Only it wasn't God. It was the man with the rabbit up his sleeve. The man in black. 
laid you a trap. You say, true. I say, thank you. They looked at each other across the shadows, the moment taking on overtones of finality. Now the questions will come. But Brown still had no questions to ask. His cigarette was down to a smoldering roach. But when the gunslinger tapped his poke, Brown shook his head. Zoltan shifted restlessly, seemed about to speak, subsided. Will I tell you about it? The gunslinger asked. Ordinarily, I'm not much of a talker, but sometimes talking helps. I'll listen. The gunslinger searched for the words to begin and found none. I have to pass water, he said. Brown nodded. Pass it in the corn, please. Sure. He went up the stairs and out into the dark, and the stars glittered overhead. The wind pulsed. His urine arched over the powdery cornfield in a wavering stream. The man in black had drawn him here. It wasn't beyond possibility that Brown was the man in black. He might be. The gunslinger shut these useless and upsetting thoughts away. The only contingency he had not learned how to bear was the possibility of his own madness. He went back inside. Have you decided if I'm an enchantment yet? Brown asked, amused. The gunslinger paused on the tiny landing, startled. Then he came down slowly and sat. The thought crossed my mind. Are you? If I am, I don't know it. It wasn't a terribly helpful answer, but the gunslinger decided to let it pass. I started to tell you about Tull. Is it growing? It's dead, the gunslinger said. I killed it. He thought, adding, and now I'm going to kill you, if for no other reason that I don't want to have to sleep with one eye open. But had he come to such behavior, and if so, why bother to go on at all? Why, if he had become what he had pursued? John Brown said, I don't want nothing from you, gunslinger. Is it to still be here when you move on? I won't beg for my life, but that don't mean I don't want it yet while longer. The gunslinger closed his eyes, his mind whirled. Tell me what you are, he said thickly. Just a man. One who means you no harm, and I'm still willing to listen, if you're willing to talk. To this, the gunslinger made no reply. I guess you won't feel right about it unless I invite you, Brown said. So, so I do. Will you tell me about Toll? The gunslinger was surprised to find that this time the words were there. He began to speak in flat bursts that slowly spread into even, slightly toneless narrative. He found himself oddly excited. He talked deep into the night, and Brown did not interrupt at all. Neither did the bird. All right, so quick pause here. I'm going to continue because as you can see the story is unfolding in segment. This is reader's um, insert and so now we are going to hear the story that he is, Gunslinger is telling Brown and we are continuing on. He bought the mule in Pricetown and when he reached Tull it was still fresh the sun had set an hour earlier, but the gunslinger had continued traveling, 
guided by the town glow in the sky, then by the uncannily clear notes of a honky-tonk piano playing Hey Jude. The road widened as it took on tributaries, and here and there the overhead spark lights, all of them long dead. The forests were long gone now, replaced by the monotonous flat prairie country, endless desolate fields gone to timothy and low shrubs, airy deserted estates, guarded by brooding shadowed mansions where demons undeniably walked, leering empty shanties where the people had either moved on or had been moved along. An occasional dweller's hovel given away by a single flickering point of light in the dark or by sullen inbred clan fams toiling silently in the fields by day. Corn was the main crop, but there were beans and also some pokeberries, and an occasional scrawny cow stared at him lumpishly from between peeled alder posts. Coaches had passed him four times, twice coming and twice going, nearly empty as they came up on him from behind, and passed him and his mule fuller as they headed back towards the forests of the north. Now and then a farmer passed with his feet up on the splashboard of his bucka, careful not to look at the man with the guns. It was ugly country. It had showered twice since he left Pricetown, grudgingly both times. Even the Timothy looked yellow and dispirited. Pass on by, country. He had seen no sign of the man in black. Perhaps he'd taken a coach. The road made a bend, and beyond it the gunslinger clucked the mule to a stop and looked down at Tall. It was at the floor of a circular, bowl-shaped hollow, a shoddy jewel in a cheap setting. There were a number of lights, and most of them clustered around the area of music. There looked to be four streets, three running at right angles to the coach road, which was the main avenue of the town. Perhaps there would be a cafe. He doubted it, but perhaps. He clucked at the mule. More houses sporadically lined the road now, most of them still deserted. He passed a tiny graveyard with moldy, leaning wood slabs overgrown and choked by rank double grass. Perhaps five hundred feet further on, he passed a chewed sign which said, Tall. The paint was flaked almost to the point of illegibility. There was another further on, but the gunslinger was not able to read that one at all. A fool's chorus of half-stoned voices was rising in the final protracted lyrics of Hey Jude. Na, 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 na. Hey Jude. He entered the town proper. It was a dead sound like a wind in the hollow of a rotted tree. Only the prosaic thump and pound of the honky-tonk piano saved him from seriously wondering if the man in black may not have raised the ghost to inhabit a deserted town. He smiled a little at the thought. There were people on the streets, but not many. Three ladies wearing black slacks and identical high-collared blouses passed him by on the opposite board rock, not looking at him with pointed curiosity. Their faces swam above their all but invisible bodies like pallid balls with eyes. The solemn old man with a straw hat perched firmly on the top of his head watched him from the steps of a boarded-up mercantile store. A scrawny tailor with a late customer paused to watch him go by. He held up a lamp in his window for a better look. The gunslinger nodded. Neither the tailor nor his customer nodded back.
You could feel their eyes resting heavily upon the low-slung holsters that lay against his hips. A young boy, perhaps thirteen, and a girl who might have been his sissa or his jelly child, crossed the street a block up, pausing imperceptibly. Their footsteps raised little hanging clouds of dust. Here in town, most of the street-side lamps worked, but they weren't electric. Their isn't glass sides were cloudy with congealed oil. Some had been crashed out. There was a livery with a just-hanging-on look to it, probably depending on the coach line for its survival. Three boys were crouched silently around a marble ring drawn in the dust to one side of the barn's gaping maw, smoking corn-shook cigarettes. They made long shadows in the yard. One had a scorpion's tail in the, poked in the band of his hat. Another had a bloated left eye bolting slightlessly from its socket. The gunslinger led his mule past them and looked into the dim depths of the barn. One lamp glowed sulkily. A shadow jumped and flickered as a gangling old man in Bilbo Barral's fort loose Timothy Hay into a hayloft with big grunting swipes of his fork. Hey, the gunslinger called. The fork faltered, and a holster looked around with yellow-tinged eyes. Hey, yourself. I got a mule here. Good for you. The gunslinger flicked a heavy, unevenly milled gold piece into the semi-dark. It rang in on the old chaff-drifted boards and, and glittered. The hostler came forward, bent, picked it up, squinted at the gunslingers. His eyes dropped to the gun belts, and he nodded sourly. How long you want to put him up? A night or two, maybe longer. And got change for gold. I didn't ask for any. Shoot him up, money, the hustler muttered. What did you say? Nothing. The hustler caught the mule's bridle, then led him inside. Rub him down, the gunslinger called. I expect to smell it on him when I come back. Hear me well. The old man did not turn. The gunslinger walked to the boys crouched around the marble ring. They had watched the entire exchange with contemptuous interest. Long days and pleasant nights, the gunslinger offered conversationally. No answer. You feel as live in town? No answer. Unless the scorpion still gave one, it seemed an odd. One of the boys removed a crazily twisted corn shuck from his mouth, grasped a green cat's-eyes marble, and squirted it into the dirt circle. It struck a croaker and knocked outside. He picked up the cat's-eye and prepared to shoot again. There a cafe in this town? the gunslinger asked. One of them looked up, the youngest. There was a huge cold sore at the corner of his mouth, but his eyes were both the same size, full of an innocence that wouldn't last long in the shithole. He looked at the gunslinger with hooded, brimming wonder that was touching and frightening. Might get a burger at Shibs. That the honky-tonk? The boy nodded, yar, and his eyes of his mates had turned ugly and hostile. Probably pay for having spoken up in kindness. The gunslinger touched the brim of his hat. I'm grateful. It's good to know that someone in this town is bright enough to talk. He walked past, mounted the boardwalk, and started down towards Shibs, hearing the clear, contemptuous voice of one of the others, hardly more than a childish treble. Weed eater! How long you been screwing your sister, Charlie? Weed eater! Then the sound of a blow and a cry. There were three flaring kerosene lamps in front of Shebs, one on each side and nailed above the dark, hung batwing doors. 
The chorus of Hey Jude had petered out, and the piano was plunking some other old ballad. Falsehood. Voices murmured like broken threads. The gunslinger paused outside for a moment, looking in. Sawdust floor, spittoon, spittoons by the tipsy-legged tables. A plank on sawhorses, a gummy mirror behind it, reflecting the piano player, who wore an invisible piano stool slouch. In front of the piano, the front of the piano had been removed so you could watch the keys walk up and down as the contraption was played. The bartender was a straw-haired woman, wearing a dirty blue dress. One strap was held with a safety pin. There were perhaps six townies in the back of the room, juicing and playing, watch me apathetically. Another half-dozen were grouped loosely around the piano four or five at the bar, and an old man with wild gray hair collapsed at a table by the doors. The gunslinger went in. Heads swiveled to look at him and his guns. There was a moment of near silence, except for the oblivious piano player who continued to tinkle. Then the woman mopped at the bar, and things shifted back. Watch me! One of the players in the corner said, and matched three hearts with four spades, emptying his hand. The one with the heart swore, pushed over a stake, and the next hand was dealt. The gunslinger approached the woman at the bar. "'You got meat?' he asked. "'Sure,' she looked him in the eye, and she might have been pretty when she started out, but the world had moved on since then. Now her face was lumpy, and there was a livid scar, went corkscrewing across her forehead. She had powdered it heavily, and the powder called attention to what it had meant to camouflage— Clean beef, threaded stock. It's dear, though. Threaded stock, my ass, the gunslinger thought. What you got from your cooler came from something with three eyes, six legs, or both. That's my guess, Lady Psy. I want three burgers and a beer, would it please you? Again, that subtle shift in tone. Three hamburgers, mouths watered and tongues licked at saliva with slow lust. Three hamburgers had anyone ever seen or eaten three hamburgers at a go. That would go for five bucks. You got, you got, you can bucks? Dollars? She nodded. She was probably saying bucks. That was his guess anyway. That with the beer, he asked, smiling a little. Or is that the beer extra? She didn't return the smile. I'll throw in the suds once I see the color of your money, that is. The gunslinger put a gold piece on the bar, and every eye followed it. There was a smoldering charcoal cooker behind the bar, and to the left of the mirror. The woman disappeared into a small room behind it and returned with meat on a paper. She scrimped out three patties and put them on the grill. The smell that arose was maddening. The gunslinger stood with solid indifference, only peripherally aware of the faltering piano and the slowing of the card game, the sidelong glances of the barflies. The man was halfway up behind him when the gunslinger saw him in the mirror. The man was almost completely bald, and his hand was wrapped around the haft of a gigantic hunting knife that was looped onto his belt like a holster. Go sit down, the gunslinger said. Do yourself a favor, Cully. The man stopped. His upper lip lifted unconsciously like a dog's, and there was a moment of silence. Then he went back to his table, and the atmosphere shifted back again. Bear came in a cracked glass schooner and got changed for gold. 
the woman said truculently. Don't expect any. She nodded angrily, as if the show of wealth, even at her benefit, incised her. But she took his gold, and a moment later the hamburgers came on a cloudy plate, still red around the edges. Do you have salt? She gave it to him in the little crock she took from underneath the bar. White lumps he'd have to crumble with his fingers. Bread? No bread. He knew she was lying, but he also knew why, and didn't push it. The bald man was staring at him with cyanized eyes, his hands clenching and unclenching on the splintered and gouged surface of his tables, his nostrils flared with that pulsating regularity scooping up the smell of the meat. That, at least, was free. The gunslinger began to eat steadily, not seemingly to taste, merely chopping the meat apart and forking it into his mouth, trying not to think of the cow that this had come from must have looked like. Threaded stock, she'd said. Yes, quite likely. And pigs would dance the Kamala in the night of the peddlers, the light of the peddler's moon. He was almost through, ready to call for another beer and roll a smoke when a hand fell on his shoulder. He suddenly became aware that the room had once more gone silent, and he tasted tension in the air. He turned around and stared into the face of a man who had been asleep by the door when he'd entered. It was a terrible face. The odor of double grass was a rank marasma. The eyes were damned, the staring, glaring eyes of one who sees but does not see. Eyes ever turned inward into the sterile hell of demons beyond control, dreams unleashed, reason out of stinking swamps of the unconscious. The woman behind the bar made a small moaning sound. The cracked lips writhed lifted, revealing green, mossy teeth, and the gunslinger thought, he's not even smoking it anymore, he's chewing it, he's really chewing it, and on the hills of that, he's a dead man, he should have been dead a year ago, and on the hills, hills of that, the man in black did this. They stared at each other, the gunslinger and the man who had gone around the rim of madness, he spoke, and the gunslinger, dumbfounded, heard himself addressed in the high speech of Gilead. The gold for a favor, gunslinger sighed, just one for a pretty. The high speech, and for a moment his mind refused to track it. It had been years, gods, centuries, millenniums. There was no more high speech. He was the last, the last gunslinger. The others were all numbered he reached into his breast pocket numbed he reached into his breast pocket and produced a gold piece the split scabbed gangrenous hand reached for it fondled it held it up to reflect the greasy glare of the kerosene lamps it threw off its proud civilized glow golden reddish bloody ah an inarticulate sound of pleasure the old man did a wavering turn and began moving back to his table, holding the coin at eye level, turning it, flashing it. The room was emptying rapidly, the bat wings shuddering madly back and forth. Piano player closed the lid of his instrument with a bang and exited after the others in long comic opera strides. Shab! the woman screamed after him. Her voice, an old mixture, an odd mixture of fear and shrewishness. Shab, you come back here. Damn it! 
What was the name of the gunslinger? Was that a name the gunslinger had heard before? He thought yes, but there was no time to reflect upon it now, or to cast his mind back. The old man, meanwhile, had gone back to his table. The gold piece on the gouged wood, the dove dead alive, eyes followed it with empty fascination. He spun it a second time, a third, and his eyelids drooped the fourth time, and his head settled to the wood before the coin stopped. There, she said furiously, you've driven out my trade. Are you satisfied? They'll be back, the gunslinger said. Not tonight they won't. Who is he? He gestured at the weed-eater. Go fuck yourself, Si. I have to know, the gunslinger said. He... He talked to you funny, she said. Nort never talked like that in his life. I'm looking for a man. You would know him. She stared at him, the anger dying, and it was replaced with speculation. Then a high, wet gleam he had seen before. The rickety building ticked thoughtfully to itself. A dog barked brayingly far away. The gunslinger waited. She saw his knowledge, and the gleam was replaced by hopelessness, by a dumb need that had no mouth. I guess maybe you know my price, she said. I got an itch I used to be able to take care of, but now I can't. He looked at her steadily. The scar would not show in the dark. Her body was lean enough so the desert and the grit and the grind hadn't been able to sag everything. She'd once been pretty, maybe even beautiful. Not that that mattered. It wouldn't have mattered if the grave beetles had nested in the arid blackness of her womb. It had all been written. Somewhere, some hand had put it all down in Ka's book. Her hands came up to her face, and there was still some juice left in her, enough to weep. Don't look. You don't have to look at me so mean. I'm sorry, the gunslinger said. I don't mean to be mean. None of you mean it, she cried at him. Close the place up put out the lights. She wept, her hands at her face, and he was glad she had her hands at her face, not because of the scar, but because it gave her back her maidenhood, if not her maiden head. The pen that held the strap of her dress glittered in a greasy light. Will he steal anything? I'll put him out if he will. No, she whispered, nor don't steal. Then put out the lights. She would not remove her hands until she was behind him. She doused the lamps one by one, turning down the wicks and breathing the flames into extinction. Then she took his hand in the dark, and it was warm. She led him upstairs, upstairs, and there was no light to hide their act. All right. And I'm going to read one last section and then we're going to call um, a conclusion to this segment's reading. So uh, let's continue on. He made cigarettes in the dark then lit them and passed one to her. The room held her scent, fresh lilac, pathetic. The smell of the desert had overlaid it. He realized he was afraid of the desert ahead. His name is Nort, she said. No harshness had been worn out of her voice. Just Nort. He died. The gunslinger waited. He was touched by God. The gunslinger said, 
sorry, let me repeat that. Just Nort, he died. The gunslinger waited. He was touched by God, the gunslinger said. I've never seen him. He was here ever since I can remember. Nort, I mean, not God, she laughed jaggedly into the dark. He had, he had a honey wagon for a while. Started to drink, started to smell the grass, then to smoke it. The kids started to follow him around and sick their dogs onto him. He wore green old pants that stank. Do you understand? Yes. He started to chew it. At the last, he just sat there and didn't eat anything. He might have been a king in his mind. The children might have been his jesters and the dogs his princes. Yes. He died right in front of this place, she said came clumping down the boardwalk. His boots wouldn't wear out. They were engineer boots he found in the old train yard with the children and the dogs behind him. He looked like wire clothes hangers all wrapped and twirled together and you could see all the lights of hell in his eyes. But he was grinning. Just like the grins the children carved into their sharp roots and pumpkins come rape. You could smell the dirt and the rot and the weed and it was running down from the corners of his mouth like green blood. I think he meant to come in and listen to Shib play the piano. And right in front, he stopped and cocked his head. And I could see him, and I thought he heard a conch, although there was none do. Then he puked, and it was all black and full of blood. And it went right through that grin like sewer through a grate. And the stink was enough to make you want to run mad. And he raised his arms up and just threw over. And that was all. He died in his own vomit with that grin on his face. A nice story. Oh, thank you, Sai. This be a nice place. She was trembling beside him. Outside, the wind kept up a steady whine, and somewhere far away, a door was banging, like a sound heard in a dream. Mass, mice ran in the walls. The gunslinger thought in the back of his mind that it was probably the only place in town prosperous enough to support mice. He put a hand on her belly, and she started violently, then relaxed. The man in black, he said. You have to have it, don't you? You can just throw me a, a fuck and go to sleep. I have to have it. All right, I tell you. She grasped his hand in both of hers and told him. Okay, so I'm going to take a minute here and mark my place in my book and believe it or not that is actually 29 pages in this reads very quickly um, in the conversational pieces so a lot has happened so since our, our first beginning of the story we have met Brown who is a farmer who's seems to be at the edge of the desert and of course the gunslinger um, gets quite comfortable with him or as comfortable I guess as he can they enjoy an evening meal and at this point now the gunslinger is starting to tell Brown the story of Toll because he's mentioned to Brown that Toll is dead and that he's killed the town so you know Brown isn't really judging or condemning him at this point. He's just listening, you know, to the gunslinger. And so our story just keeps evolving. So I, what I love about this writing, if you're here with me, we started off with the gunslinger 
walking across the desert following the man in black and then it almost seems like we're in another level like um, when we talked about that he was leading a mule well in the desert of course he has no mule he's just walking across the desert so it's it's another time and I'm like okay this is you know like another level in the story and then we start hearing about Tull and now we're in yet another level so we're kind of jumping down this rabbit hole of the story and I really love how this is unfolding in this way um, like like peeling back you know um, lack of a better word to quote Shrek you know layers of an onion you know it's a, a layer of skin underneath a layer of skin and you're just going towards the center or parfait <laughs> so everybody love parfait um, that's my Shrek moment but I really do love all of the detail you know the the very harshness of tall him walking in with the mule that was still fresh and how he's crossed the land and he came from a place where there had been forests you know because they they allude to that and now it's just scrubland and so you can see that it went from maybe a, a greener place to this really rickety barely hanging on town that's half abandoned I loved that the piano player was playing Hey Jude, Honky Tonk, and the piano in what seems to be so far uh, the one bar in town. And so that I thought was a really, you know, the music's echoing that loud that can, he can hear it, you know, on the wind, they're drunken singing. Um, the interaction that he had with the hostler um, putting the mule up for the night I thought was some nice dialogue shoot him up money you know like okay I could see that to me I had mental images of the good the bad the ugly you know the kind of the, the kind of spaghetti western kind of feel to that I thought that was really well done and then of course going into the bar and you know the piano's playing and it's kind of full and there's card games, you know, there's a card game going on, and and then this this man who was asleep and who is very obviously an addicted user of the devil grass and should be dead from his use of the devil grass, you know, of all things uses, you know, the high speech of Gilead. So this is yet something else, you know, from the gunslinger's past. And this really pretty language of the gold for a favor, gunslinger's lie, just one for a pretty. I mean, it's kind of a poetic language where these people are very hard and crass. And, of course, the woman, you know, who is, who is tending the bar says Nort never talked like that so you know so she knows this man and knows that what is happening here with this old weed eater um, double grass eater I guess more than weed eater but double grass eater you know that he is really an un you know that this is an unusual moment and of course the bar empties immediately so we know that there's something really kind of wackadoo happening here so and then you're kind of seeing that maybe she is lonely and desperate and 
I took, you know, like, I guess maybe you know my price. Maybe she's going through menopause. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I mean, she's a, she's a single lady with needs. I, I don't know. But, you know, she is basically, basically demanding um, he spend private time with her in order, you know, to, to, for him to be able to get information. So it's, it's a business transaction, a really weird trade they have going on here. So um, I find that kind of uncomfortable, <laughs> but it is a part of the story. And, you know, it's just how everything is kind of un unfolding. And, you know, here, you know, they're fighting. And then the next thing you know, she's leading him up to, to her bedroom. And... You know, it's just like he's after one thing, and that's to find out about the man in black. So, and, you know, so they do their thing. I love the, there was no light to hide their act. I think that's, that's a nicely written sentence. That's pretty much describes what's going on there. And then she kind of talks to him, you know, about Norton. Like she says, he's touched by God. He was touched by God. And the gunslinger says, I've never seen him. And, you know, of course, well, he was here ever since I can remember. Nort, I mean, not God. She jagged, left uh, jaggedly into the night. And so this man, you know, had had a honey wagon and kind of degenerates into the state that he's in. So he's kind of an interesting character. And I don't know what more we're going to find out about Nort, but he seems like, you know, like something has happened to him. And we're going to find out hopefully more in our next session. So I hope you've enjoyed this. This is a lot more gritty than my fairy tales and or children's stories, but you can see how very dreamlike this is. And even with the grit, it's appealing. I hope it's appealing to you as it is to me. It very much catches the attention. So I'm hoping you're enjoying this. Please pardon my skips in reading. Um, it reads easy, but my eyes are bad, so <laughs> I need better lighting, I think, so I, I don't stumble over words for you. So we will try to read more for you tomorrow, and I'll try to give you more regular posts. This is a story that we'll want to read, you know, together pretty quickly. I hope you're loving this, and thank you so much for giving me a listen. And if you like this, please recommend this to other people. Um, share my podcast, please. And, you know, maybe, you know, we can all enjoy this marvelous book together. And I do intend on reading the whole thing. It's going pretty quickly. And I love the story. So uh, this is me, uh, Lisa with Sepa Stories. And thank you, thank you, thank you again so much for your time and spending these moments. And I hope you have a wonderful, whether it be day or night, or if you're listening at work to, to this reading while you're working or using this to relax in the evening, I hope that this was an interesting and fun read for you. And we'll see you next time for our next segment. So have a great rest of whatever you're doing. And I look forward to continuing this story for you. Thank you. Bye.